You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by Thoroughbred Racing Commentaries Global Rankings. Hi there, welcome to the show. Thanks for tuning in once again. It's Thursday the 18th of November and I'm still in Bahrain ahead of the £500,000 Bahrain International Trophy that will be run tomorrow. Later in this edition, I'll be talking to my broadcast colleague Mark Johnson about what it's like to commentate here at Sakia Racecourse. He's a man who's called the Kentucky Derby, the Derby, just about everywhere in the world. Uh, looking forward to his insight a little later on. I'll also be talking in the first of a 12-part series to Chris Moore. Chris is one of the first-year trainees on this year's Godolphin Flying Start, producing future industry leaders. He tells me about his route into racing and why you don't necessarily have to have a racing background to get on to this esteemed program. He also brings you uh, details of what might yet end up being the most influential horse racing podcast as the Flying Starters are beginning their own and it'll be out very soon but we've got a cracking weekend's jump racing in store in britain and ireland with any number of stars set to shine goshen and defi de soy and loss in translation and dashel drasher and bob ollinger making his chasing debut we'll be talking about all of that but the betfair chase at haydock park looks the obvious place to start as i welcome in the racing post maddie Playle to ask maddie is this simply a formality for last year's or last season's Cheltenham Gold Cup runner-up at Plutar, or is it a bit more complex than that? I don't think it's a formality, Nick, in that we can question his early season form before. But what I would say to counter that is this has clearly been a target for some time. So I think he'll be more ready than some of Henry de Bromhead's other runners reappearing that we've seen. Um, Cheveley Park stud owners who own Plutard have made their intention clear that they want to have more big runners um, in England, and this is a, a great place to start for him. On the figures, he should be an easy winner, given that he was second in a Gold Cup uh, last season. Bristol Demai, we know that he handles um, Haydock's track very, very well, and he's bidding to to equal Quarto Star with another victory in the race. And then we're still waiting on the final entries for the rest of the field. But the likes of Next Destination, Waiting Pati- Patiently, Imperial Aura, even Royal Pagai probably have more to offer. Um, but I think, to be honest, if Aplutard resumes in the form that we saw last season, which is not guaranteed, um, then it will be a formality in that breath. Right. That's Aplutard. What about Bristol de May then, the horse that has made this race his own in recent seasons? I've been talking to his rider, Daryl Jacob, and this is what he said to me about the task at hand 48 hours from now. Yeah, good morning, Nick. Um, yeah, Bristol's obviously in very, very good form. Um, his schooling and work has been, uh, he hasn't missed a day um, so far this year. So, um, you know, the confidence is high and Nigel's horses are in great form. And, uh, you know, it's a race we're very much looking forward to. I mean, we always assume that at some point age is going to catch up with him. But on what you've seen at home, is it? No, definitely not. Um, you know, it's funny, we were just himself and Sammy were talking about the other day. He feels as good this year that he's, that he's ever felt. So um, I know he's a year older and all that, but he doesn't feel it. Now, the ground's going to be a little bit drier than, than he's used to up there. Is that an, an issue at all for you, do you think? Well, look. 
lucky when he beat Nate River and my bite that year was only good to soft ground and uh, I thought that was an exceptional performance that day. So, um, you know, obviously for his favourable favorable conditions, you would want it heavy, but look, we're not worried. We're not running scared of um, running them on good to, good to soft ground, that's for sure. And I mean, I've asked Nigel this question, Nigel Swisson Davis is trainer many times, and I'm, no, I'm never quite sure I've really arrived at the answer as to what it is about this race or this place that makes him so effective. What, what, what is it in your opinion? Um, I think he's, he's just lucky. He, he's got a, you know, he's got a good long stride. He's a lovely jumper and, uh, you know, got, he, he likes to lead with his near four and, uh, you know, a, le- a left-handed flat track just seems to suit him best. And you're, I know you're on your way up to Market Raisin t- today, and you've got uh, Sam Twist and Davis in the in in the car with you. Does uh, does he keep you honest with these horses that that Nigel trains? Yeah, look, you know, myself and Sam work very very well together. We work closely together, and uh, you know, he always keeps me updated about all the horses in in the yard and stuff like that. And like you say, it's it's great that Nigel's having a fantastic season as well. So we're going in there with we you know with a lot of confidence, and uh, you know, we're very very much looking forward to it. It's going to be very difficult. Uh, task to try and beat absolute hard where you know i think his sort of form one of ryanair you know he's got pace he's a good jumper he's got stamina he loves good to soft ground i think he's going to be a very very difficult horse to beat but um you know we're not gonna we're not gonna shy away from the challenge ahead of us and you just think it'll it'll pan out the way that it normally pans out you'll just line up try and take a handy position and and work away from there look i'll ride the race that you know that suits my horse and you know whatever the rest of them do around me um, that doesn't really um, that doesn't bother me, but I'll be riding my horse to, to for him to run the, his best possible race, and uh, you know whatever they want to do after that, they can do after that. And busy time of year for you, and not only having to ride every day up and down the country, but also getting to know all the horses that Simon Manier and Isaac Swade have in training. Um, any exciting prospects coming out imminently that we should know about? Yeah, look, there's a lovely horse there that we, that won an air bumper on a Monday, called and Cam Funnock won a Stuart Crawford's. Uh, We've got a lovely horse or two that'll go novice hurdling um, this year over at Shoe Crawford as well, and uh, you know some of the horses like say Fuse Raffles done very very well. Obviously, Scorrail's been a, a fantastic flag uh, bearer again this year. So um, you know the, the season's really getting into full swing now. We just, to be honest with you, I think we could all do it a bit more rain, and then uh, we'd be a one. That was Daryl Jacob, as you can imagine pretty confident of uh, the Bristol Demay that's going to turn up at the weekend. The one point he did make that I hadn't considered, Maddie, was that Nigel Twist and Davis's horses are in pretty decent nick and have started this season very well. They have. Um, for the last couple of years, they've been struggling a little bit. But now, as we speak, he's nine from 33 in the last fortnight, 27%, which is very good indeed. Obviously, he's got the likes of I Like to Move It um, and plenty of other good horses. He had a couple of winners at Cheltenham, didn't he? So the yard is clearly in a much better place than it was um, last year. And Bristol Demai is still only a 10-year-old, so he probably does have more to give, um, even though he seems to have been around for a long time. I was chatting to someone the other day about how he won the finale at Chepstow back in 2014. Um, remarkable horse, really, to have that longevity and Connections deserve um, plenty of credit for being able to keep him sweet all this time. Formidable opponent in Aplutar. He'll be ridden by Rachel Blackmore. Dara O'Keefe will take the ride, therefore, on Bob Ollinger as he makes his eagerly awaited steeplechasing debut at Goran Park at the weekend. There's not an awful lot more we can can add, Maddie, other than aren't we all excited about this horse? Yeah, very much so, Nick. Um, With Envor Alain, before he was beaten, he was very much a hype horse, and I wasn't sure that I believed the hype with him and 
although uh, Bob Ollinger has been beaten by Fernie Hollow, of course, uh, in his main hurdle, I do tend to believe the hype more with this horse. I'm not sure why. Um, I think he he showcases everything that you want in a top class horse. He can travel. He's a really serene jumper. Um, he's got an excellent turn of foot, great cruising speed, and he stays very well as well. So it's another advertisement that this sort of middle ground distance of two mile four is um, it's a really good division to to see the best of different horses and particularly Bob Ollinger. Maddie at Ascot in the 1965 chase, lots of potential storylines here, chief amongst them another Ascot success for Dashiell Drasher. Tell us why this would be a particularly um, poignant success were he to win. Yes, well, so much of his career has been characterised and defined by his partnership with Matt Griffiths, who we now know um, is in hospital um, battling a brain injury. Now, I think as well, it's very much a romantic story for the real jumps fans because Jeremy Scott has had some wonderful horses through the years um, and he's clearly got or had a fantastic relationship with Matt Griffiths riding this horse. They combined for many, many wins together and at this track as well. So, Rex Dingle's going to have um, a big task on his hands to sort of be able to emulate that partnership, but particularly because Dashiell Drasher has not always been the most straightforward horse. He's a bit of a runaway. He can jump left, um, but for whatever reason, he seems to just excel around Ascot, and he's got real guts and determination. Um, so we'll be hoping that Matt Griffiths can show those same qualities um, and we can see him back very soon. In the same race, a couple of horses sort of emerging from the wilderness, really. Defi de Soy and Lost in Translation. If we were having this conversation 18 months ago, yeah, they're two absolute top notches amongst the best chasers in training, but things haven't quite gone right for them. Uh, is there any hope that they can come back, do you think? I'm more puzzled by Lost in Translation. Um, I was chief of his fan club, club for a long time, um, but I, I struggle to see where the improvement's going to come with him. Defi de Soy, I think there's a little bit more of a um a caveat to to his bad runs he only actually ran three bad races um in the in the queen mother champion chase he was then pulled up in the schler on his reappearance and then fifth of eight behind uh, first float in the clarence house take into consideration like i was saying with bristol demai he's still only an eight-year-old um and as you touched upon nick before we were talking he's had one of those sort of off seasons before after his brilliant juvenile campaign so he he has proved that he can come back from a spell in the doldrums and again I just think it would be fantastic to see him back given that we want the longevity of these stars and again Philip Hobbs is having a far better year already uh, season this year than he he was last so there is hope for for Defi Desoy and these horses still have pretty high ratings you know Dash or Drash is on 162 but Defi is on the same mark. Lost in translation on 160 as well. Um, Espoir de Romeo and Master Tommy Tucker are on the same. So it could be quite a closely matched race. It could come down to tactics and it could come down to fitness. Now, talking about another horse who divides opinion sharply but is very good on his good days and pretty horrible on his bad days, Goshen is also reappearing at Ascot. What are we expecting from him? Again, another stable in barnstorming form. I think the interesting thing now with Goshen is that he's going up in trip. Uh, he's not always necessarily been a horse that you'd look at and think he wants a trip. Um, and he is very good on his good days at Wincanton last year when he beat Song for someone by 22 lengths in the Kingwell Hurdle. He looked a superstar, received a race post rating of 165, a career best by some way. And I still think 
um, we're ruining that triumph hurdle victory that would have been, aren't we, back in uh, 2020 when he came and stuck at the final hurdle, when he would have absolutely blitzed the field. So there's a lot of goodwill behind Goshen, I feel. Um, but I, I think based on his run at Punchestown, which wasn't as bad as, you know, it wasn't totally all or nothing. He did show quite a lot of promise. He was prominent um, and it didn't pay to be prominent in this race with Honeysuckle and Sharjah both settled behind. Um, but he seems a funny horse to manage in the middle of his races. Um, Jamie Moore clearly wants to use his enthusiasm and use his stride, but equally not so it's detrimental to the, the latter stages of the race. So I think he could travel a little bit more comfortably at this trip now. I think it could be a worthwhile experiment for him. He's hardly gone and forgotten at this stage of his career, still only five. Well, here in Bahrain this week at the Rashid Equestrian and Horse Racing Club, and Mark Johnson is the racecourse commentator and will be calling the world feed that you'll be able to see on, on racing TV on Friday. Mark's called it just about every racetrack in the world, I think. Mark, just describe this place and what makes it different. Um, it's very bright. Um, there's, uh, there's not a great deal of backdrop, which makes it a little bit tricky as a race caller. And basically that means that if a jockey is wearing whitish, pink, grey colours with their breeches, obviously, which are white, they can look a bit shiny and a bit shimmery. And therefore, this wouldn't be the easiest course in the world to call. But it is a really nice galloping track. It's very, very fair. And when you look at the, the results of races over the, the last couple of years here, an outside draw, even over 2,000, isn't necessarily the worst thing in the world. So, um, yeah, looking forward to a very, very good race. Yeah, Dave O'Mara pulled out, I think, 13, was it, Lord Glitters? Yeah. He was the first man up yesterday, and he didn't look terribly pleased. But, as you say, it might not be a disaster. No, it's a drop-in horse as well, isn't it? So, basically, it's a very short run to the first turn. Um, they only run for around about uh, 130 metres before they start going into that first turn. So if you are drawn wide, if you're a pace horse, that would be, that would be a little bit of a problem. But with a horse like Lord Glitters, who tends to travel powerfully in behind the speed, I don't think it would be a, that much of a, of, a, of a worry for his new rider today. And uh, yeah, I think, I think he'll be fine. Do you enjoy it here? I love it. I, lo I, love, I love going to various different race courses around the world. As you said earlier on, I've been very lucky to, to go to most corners of the world. And a place like this, when you've got, a, uh, you've got someone like Sheikh Issa, who is so enthusiastic, and there's so many other people here who are really enthusiastic to make this a proper Division 1 race course and a, a Division 1 uh, type of racing, um, it's really great to get behind a brand that is pushing and going forward because, as we know, going around the world racing, a lot of the time people get rather staid and they get a little bit, sometimes it can get just a little bit, a uh, little bit samey, but here everything's moving forward. They've now built a second turf course. There's now We're going to be racing on Friday at the outer turf, but there's also an inner turf, so they've got pristine racing conditions. They're always looking forward, and if I can be part of that and to help push that, then that's fantastic. Yeah, I've certainly enjoyed it as well. We've a good, good race Friday as well. The, the quality's gone, gone up a notch. The fact that Charlie Appleby's got a couple of runners to Tories here riding for side. Bin Sarua mentioned Lord Glitters. Lots of horses have shown good group one form. Oh, absolutely, yes, and the fact that you've got, you've got horses like Penger as well is very much... Coming, uh, 
and it's not just I mean it is all about the international race in many respects because that's what's that's the big money and that's where the prestige is and of course now it isn't officially an international group three which is fantastic in only its third year but the undercard as well is very very strong you've got horses that people in the UK will know horses like Koncheck who's now out here running a very good sprinter there's the undercard is filled with really good racing so yeah it's it's uh, it's something I, I think the locals are going to really enjoy Commentator Mark Johnson there, who will be calling all the races here in Bahrain tomorrow. Uh, Maddie, your paper, The Racing Post, has um, splashed the news of the, of the potential documentary series that Netflix might be commissioning about horse racing for the, la- the last couple of days. Now, you, you were a big fan of the, the model for this, Drive to Survive, weren't you? I was. Um, I watched it a couple of years ago now, and since I've been a really big fan of, of Formula One, so it clearly worked with me. I'm actually off to Silverstone later today um, to go and see the Silverstone experience there. And although I've got quite a few pockets of people um, who have relations to F1, um, it's not something that I ever really thought about, to be honest, um, bar watching a couple as a child. Um, but now I'd say I'm a devoted fan as much as I can be when uh, when the racing and when other things allow. I think this is the perfect vehicle for racing because we need to appeal to a broader audience and the audience we've already got. Frankly, I would love to love to watch a series like this, giving that behind the scenes insight. I think why I enjoy F1 is now because I understand the the people behind it and their characters, and that's something that I think. We, can, we have so many fantastic people in racing with really um, brilliant personalities that we should be aiming to showcase that um, more. But what I would say is I think it's going to be more challenging, I think, with racing than it perhaps was with Formula One because you're dealing with live animals and you're dealing with a sport that is viewed differently in the public eye. Formula One, I'm sure, has its own knockers with the, you know, the, the carbon emissions problem and... and um, global warming, etc. But that's something that they've been very on the front foot trying to tackle. And I think racing would do well if it, if it continued in the same vein. I do think it'd be a challenge to execute it properly and to execute it in the right way. But I think it's a challenge that's very, very well worth taking. Um, however entertaining that might end up being, Maddie, it's probably not going to be as entertaining as your morning with John Frankham yesterday, I'd suggest. um well yeah i can't give too much away because obviously i don't want to spoil it um for when people can see the end product but yeah i was lucky enough to spend uh some time with john yesterday and there was no shortage of opinions um and views flying around so it was tremendously enjoyable at the moment he's um he's i'll give you a sneak peek he's actually trying to design a stable that has everything concreted in um, and also another one of his sort of babies is he wants to create totally, uh, almost <laughs> totally washable horse bedding. So it can be taken out, washed and put back in, which <laughs> sounds bonkers. But having met John and sat down with him, um, he's an incredibly practical and positive man. He doesn't tend to see many barriers um, in things that he wants to achieve. Um, so yeah, I just consider myself very lucky to have spent some time with him. Um, we talked about all sorts of things. We talked about, um, the weighing room, prize money, five day Cheltenham festivals, uh, jockeys now compared to jockeys back in his day. Um, and it was really fascinating. Some of the, the comparisons he drew. Yeah, I bet it was. I bet it was. John Franken, the former multiple champion, national hunt jockey, and then brilliant television pundit for so many years.
Uh, interesting snippet of news emerging from Australia the last couple of days about the star rider Jamie Carr, who was suspended, Maddie, and was going to be suspended for five months. What's happened? Yes, so Jamie Carr um, had, in theory, planned to be at an Airbnb um, in Australia um, on her own, and then it emerged that there'd been some sort of... Uh, gathering which broke the covid lockdown rules a number of other prominent riders were involved mark zara was one of them um and jamie then received a, a ban which saw her have to miss the melbourne cup she was third aboard prince of aaron in the race um last year this was a really expensive ban for her missing the majority of that flemington carnival which is uh, pinnacle in that in the australian season and now it's emerged um, that she's won a Supreme Court appeal against the, the two-month ban she was handed by racing officials. Um, they said she gave misleading information about the gathering, uh, but that's now been proved not the case. So she could return to riding as early as next week, I believe, um, and a hugely popular and decorated rider on um, the Victorian circuit in Australia. She hadn't indeed willfully omitted details about the guest list as much as they they once thought that she had. So Jamie Carr will be back as early as the end of next week, which for all her many fans clearly is excellent news and she can put that episode behind her. I'm very pleased that over the next 12 months, once a month, I'll be catching up with one of this year's trainees on the prestigious Godolphin Flying Start program, which is aiming to find the industry its next leaders. Chris Moore joins me today. Uh, Chris, thanks so much for being the first flying starter to appear on the podcast. I know you've got news of your own podcast in a few moments' time, but first of all, just tell me what you've been up to most recently and, and how you're enjoying your first year on the on the Godolphin Flying Start. Hi, Nick. Yeah, first of all, thank you very much for having us on. We, uh, we're all a bit of a fan of the podcast ourselves, <laughs> so um, we really appreciate the, the time to, to speak to us. Um, but yeah, the flying start's going very well so far. Um, we have just come back from Ireland um, from a stint in Kildangan, which was fantastic. Um, that's the first phase, um, which lasts about three months. We get the opportunity to break some of the homebred yearlings in Kildangan, which is a fantastic experience. We also do some University College Dublin veterinary modules, as well as lots of personal development, um, leadership workshops, and um, lots of cool visits as well. So yeah, all going very well so far, thanks. Now the stud side of it is something that you're very interested in, isn't it? So I'm guessing that being at Kildangan was not home from home, but but great for you. I'm sort of more interested in when this course takes you and others out of their own comfort zones and how sort of enriching that is. Yeah, it's, it's per- I mean, like you say, I, I, my background would mainly be on, on the stud side of things. So it's great to get outside of that for me personally, getting to racing yards, see how different yards work. Cause personally I haven't had a huge amount of experience in that before. Um, but as well as speaking to things like race analysts, you go, you get a lot of experience with the office staff nominations team. So you do get a real overview of, of the entire industry, which is what I think is so special about it. How much does it combine, say, academic and practical? How much, how much time would you spend on, on each? It, it depends on the phase. But in, in Ireland, for example, we'd be breaking on the yards all morning um, until sort of half 12. And then lectures would kick in in the afternoon. So, 
you know, generally a 50-50 split, but of course on top of that you do your assignments and, and, and the like as well. So, And what's your personal journey been to get here? So what, what, where did it all start for you? Oh, so um, I'm actually not from a racing background whatsoever. Um, I, I grew up in Leeds, not around horses. Um, so um, yeah, just it was always on in the background racing with my grandpa and my dad. I always had it on television. Um, actually ended up doing a graduate scheme down in London um, and just had a bit of a wave, bit of a career change, moved to Newmarket. Um, I did a fantastic initiative, which the TBA host with the, uh, the National Stud called the Entry to Stud Employment, who basically give the opportunity to people who've never touched a horse before in their life to go and learn the hands-on practical skills before then being released into the industry um so yeah you you do three months on the national just learning the the basics and then you sent sent off on a placement um i did a couple of years then with hugo lassels at lost hall stud um and then more recently um been out working for monsieur bozo um at monso before joining the flying start uh, um, Monsieur Bozo has been a, a guest on this podcast as well. Speaking of which, the new Godolphin Flying Start podcast is about to hit the airwaves. <laughs> yeah, we're hoping so anyway. Um, it's very much a work in progress, so bear with us. But um, yeah, we, um, we're really hoping to, to get one out a month interviewing key figures in the industry, um, you know, as well as some alumni um, who've, um, who've obviously completed the Flying Start and gone on to great things. Um, and we're going to be focusing over the next couple of months on the recruitment phase. The, um, the applications open in December. So we're hoping to encourage as many um, young, ambitious people who are really keen and passionate about the sport to, to get onto us, ask some questions and hopefully apply. And Chris, you say you've got no background in racing. Your family's not in racing. This is no barrier to entry to this course, is it? Absolutely not, no. And um, I will stress that this, you do hear a lot. If you, if you are looking to apply for the Flying Start, you do hear a lot of myths along the way. You can't get in because of this. You can't get in because of this. Um, you need to speak three languages. And, uh, but um, you know, <laughs> really, uh, really there, there, is, there is no real barriers. Um, and if you think there's a barrier, what I'd suggest doing is applying and you will find out a lot about the process and then um, you will hopefully um, get it. You know, it, you could apply in the future again is what I'm trying to say. We've had a few people on this year who've applied two or three times um, and learned from the process each time, corrected the bits that they might need improvement on and then managed to get on. So yeah, there's, um, there's many ways to do it. All right. You don't need three languages. You don't need to be from a racing background. If at first you don't succeed, try and try again. It's a great program. You just heard from Chris there how much you can learn. Uh, that's Chris Moore, who speaks fluent Russian and Mandarin. And uh, we will be, we'll be catching up with another flying starter this time next month. Thanks, Nick. Thanks to Chris, to Daryl, to all my guests today. Maddie is still here and has a tip for you. Yes, um, I'm hoping a horse uh, is declared um, at Haydock on Saturday, who I tipped up midweek in the weekender. But if we're going today, I'm trying to improve my record um, in these tipping stakes. So we're going to go uh, to Wincan somewhere. Sadly, there are some small fields, but again, the ground is very good. 3.15 and Amarillo Sky. He's tongue-tied for the first time. Five-year-old who ran on chase debut at Chepstow last time. 
that was a really good race. He was fourth behind witness protection. Red rookie, not available after travelling really, really strongly. Sent off the four to one favourites. So um, connections clearly thought he would be up to winning that. Uh, he's down a pound to one twenty eight from then, and he should be up to winning against some more exposed rivals. That's Amarillo Sky in the three fifteen at Wincanton. Maddie, thanks so much. Thank you very much for listening. We'll be back to do it all again tomorrow. Bye bye for now. You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you in association with Fitzdares, the Racehorse Owners Association, and Thoroughbred Racing Commentary. Mm-hmm.